and welcome to the Book of Lou's podcast. My name is Cara and I am your host. Hi guys, thank you so much for joining me for episode 12. It is lovely to have you here. If this is your first episode, what an episode for you to pick. I, I'm sure you'll get something from this. And if this is not your first episode, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. Last week, well, it wasn't last week, two weeks ago, we had Annie on from Cloth Nappy Library Ireland and definitely one of my most popular episodes so far. It seemed to be really helpful to a lot of people, which is really great. I really delved into cloth nappies and how to use them, why we should use them. So if you haven't listened to that yet, it's well worth checking out whether or not you get some babies or you just know some babies. It's just good to know. But this, as you can probably see, is a long enough episode. Before I give you an introduction to this person we're going to be chatting to, I just want to give you a quick heads up in regards to the sound of this episode. The sound isn't exactly great in this, especially when I'm speaking. I don't know what it was. I didn't catch it till after. But I think basically my audio levels were just all mixed up and I have this new pop shield and I wasn't far enough away from it. But I'm not the one speaking too much in this, so hopefully it's fine. Just wanted to give a quick heads up and apology about that. I'm still learning all this technology. It's freaking me out, man. But I hope you can get past that and enjoy this episode. So we're going to be talking to Cormac Nugent on behalf of Extinction Rebellion Ireland. So if you haven't heard of Extinction Rebellion, they are this organisation basically that came about around last November I think it was and there's no kind of head people at the top of this it's basically anyone who adheres to this set of values that they have i.e being non-violent and no blaming and shaming these kind of ideals if you agree to their values you can basically act in the name of X or in rebelling for the environment and for our planet. We'll get a lot more into Extinction Rebellion and I won't list all the values here but they will be in the show notes so you can check them out there. I do want to though quickly list the demands of Extinction Rebellion. So Extinction Rebellion was set up to fulfill three demands and those demands we talk about in this episode but we keep jumping to and from various topics we just get carried away with ourselves at certain times so I wanted to give you a just concise quick summary of these three demands that Extinction Rebellion have so you know this going in to this interview so demand one of Extinction Rebellion They want the government to tell the truth. So wherever, whatever country you're living in, if Extinction Rebellion is existing there, they want your government, they want governments all over the world to tell the truth. So basically, this would include declaring a climate and ecological emergency, working with other institutions to communicate the urgency for change. So basically acknowledging that the climate crisis is really happening. That's like step one. 
and then you can move from there. Demand number two is simply to act now. I say simply and yet they keep stalling but we want the government to act now to halt biodiversity loss and reduce greenhouse gases emissions to net zero by 2025. So we'll go into this more. I'm getting these demands from the Extinction Rebellion, I think international website. We do have an Irish one as well, again, which will be linked in the show notes. And their third demand is the government must create and be led by the decision of a citizens assembly on climate and ecological justice. So that's the third demand. So basically they want the people of the country, a citizens assembly to lead the way on deciding policy and changes that they want to see happening as opposed to letting a group of TDs or a group of politicians coming up with all the ideas they want to create a citizens assembly and a citizens assembly if you don't know is basically like a jury service where members are randomly selected from the population and they use quotas to ensure there's people with various backgrounds and ethnic ethnicities and they basically are asked a lot of questions and come up with a plan and suggestions and there's no kind of bias there they're just they're people. Ireland already had a citizens assembly and they made a lot of suggestions in regards to what we need to do about the environment and in Ireland we want them to adhere to those suggestions. So just to go back on that the three demands of Extinction Rebellion number one tell the truth. So in Ireland by the government declaring a climate emergency technically they have completed act one in telling the truth demand number two to act now and they have not completed that since declaring the climate emergency they went and were just big hypocrites and released drilling rights to a chinese oil corporation to drill for oil off the coast of ireland and that's just that's just one thing they've done since declaring the climate emergency there have been others and then the third demand they must create and be led by the decisions of a citizens assembly on climate justice. So those are the three basic demands of Extinction Rebellion. And just to add as well that Extinction Rebellion, they're not affiliated with any political party. You might think, okay, so their logo's green and they're fighting for the environment. So obviously it's, this is a Green Party thing. They're not associated with the Green Party at all. The Extinction Rebellion do their own thing. Their priority is the planet as opposed to any kind of political agenda, that's not what they are about. They're literally about rebelling against the extinction of life as we know it today. So just wanted to kind of lay that basis there. This, as I said, is long enough. So I'm going to let you just listen to Cormac. He talks a lot of sense, a lot of science, but it's nice and digestible, easy for my particular brain to understand anyway. So hopefully you guys will get a lot out of this. Now, please do stick around after because there's some some things we left out of the interview that I just wanted to stick in at the end. And as well, a call out 
for two big events we have coming up in regards to striking and rebelling. Number one being this Friday, we have the Global Strike for Climate this Friday, the 20th of September. All over the world, students are leading this strike, this Global Strike for Climate. And there's a lot that you guys can do to help us. I'm going to let you guys know at the end what that is. And then, of course, we'll get into this more. In October, Extinction Rebellion Ireland are going to be hosting Rebellion Week. So basically, they have plans to cause disruptions in the city. And we'll go into why they do this and if it actually even works. We'll talk about that in this episode, but stick around at the end because there's a lot of important stuff that I gotta let you guys know about. And as always, this is a passion project of mine, this podcast, and I would love to give it all the time I have in the world. And it is really inspiring when I see people sharing it and people that I don't even know commenting in places on Facebook like oh I listen to your podcast like you guys don't know how much I appreciate it it really just makes my heart happy because I was convinced for a very long time there was like only seven people that I knew personally listening to this and they were just making me feel nice by pressing play again and again again to get the (laughs) to get the listenership up but I'm kind of believing now that oh my god there's people that I don't know that are listening to this which is just really cool so thank you so so much I really appreciate it it feels like the hours I'm putting in are they're not wasted so please keep sharing keep retweeting sharing to your Instagram story if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rate and subscribe if you can do that. I don't even know. Can you do that a podcast anymore? If you can, please do, because I'm sure it all helps with the ratings and being suggested to other people. That would be amazing. And of course, I do have a Patreon account as well for this podcast. It is just a platform if anyone can spare a euro or two euro or whatever a month to donate just to help with the upkeep of the website and podcast hosting and various other costs. That would be amazing if you could do that. I would really appreciate it. Okay, that is enough yapping from me for now. Here is Cormac. Don't forget to stick around at the end and I'll catch you after. Cormac. Hello Cara. Thank you so much for inviting me to the wonderful new XOR office that you guys have been availing of for free I hear. Very yes lucky. it's quite exciting having <laughs> an actual space of our own and we can start planning properly and get things moving for rebellion week. Excellent so before we get into all of that as I do with all of my guests can you tell us a little bit about yourself so I guess starting from where you're from where you grew up and how you found yourself to be into environmentalism and sustainability and that kind of stuff okay um quite a big question but see I'm from Kildare I'm from Newbridge which is about 40 minutes from Dublin I have a background in geography and international development where I studied Maynooth I Kind of like the main reason I got involved with environmental issues was that I had a real love for geography and for the natural world. I don't know where that really came from though. Um, it just kind of naturally happened as I got older, and then once I got to about twenty one, 
I it was actually my twentieth birthday. I started to look at a lot of vegan documentaries, like Cowspiracy and Forks Over Knives and things like that. And I went vegan. I went vegetarian first, and then I went vegan after a year. So it was ethical reasons I went. But once you start to go down that rabbit hole, you find out about the environmental concerns and the environmental damage that's caused by animal agriculture around the world. So, like, even in Ireland, 30% of our emissions are from animal agriculture, or agriculture in general, not just animal agriculture, but most of our agriculture is animal agriculture. Mm. Um, so, you start to look at all the Amazon destruction and the runoff of chemicals into waterways, and, yeah, there's an awful lot of damage caused because of animal agriculture, and it's not good for human health either. So, that kind of got me into environmentalism. I also had some really, really good lecturers in college, one of them who was an IPCC scientist, so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was unbelievable getting to study under him. And I kind of got shocked during one of my climate change lectures. It was on climate change projections, and he was working on, it wasn't the IPCC guy, but it was a different lecture. And one of the projections that he was talking about was that the world is going to warm by about three or four degrees, but that's average he was looking at a 14 degrees rise at the poles, which would mean the complete collapse of the Arctic ice sheets. And that shocked me. It's um, like 14 degrees is catastrophic by anyone's imagination. Yeah. So it kind of forced me to think about what I was doing with my life. Um, was he saying like three degrees is kind of what it fluctuates? So let, let's say it's three degrees average. That might be colder in some places, but it'll be warmer in other places. And some parts of the year, it might mean that it's 14 degrees warmer at the poles. Or, like, that's the kind of... The average is just, like... That's a global thing. The globe is so big that temperatures can fluctuate massively across. Yeah. And if it was... He's saying... He said that it looks like it's going to increase by 14 degrees. At the poles. Like, at the minute, we're actually... On a global scale, we're on target for 6 degrees of warming. Okay. Which, by anyone's imagination is the collapse of human civilization the world bank has said that at four degrees warming that it's unlikely that we will be able to adapt to the changes uh. as a society <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, oh my God. it's scary okay so he imparted this piece of information and it made you think about question your life then yeah that was a part of it um a few other things just kind of kick-started it that was one of the big ones when i heard that number it it, it jumped out at me and I just kind of threw myself into the research and continue to learn more and more about it and how big the scale is and how big the dis- like the destruction of the Amazon was and the damage to coral reefs. And th- yeah, it, it worried me. But I always had this kind of glimmer of hope because if you look back at the Montreal Protocol where we solved the, the hole in the ozone. So the hole in the ozone was caused by CFC gas, so chlorofluorocarbon gases, which were emitted from certain aerosols and also from like refrigerators and things like that but governments around the world similar to the paris agreement were able to put together binding agreements that stopped the use of these gases which has in turn reduced the hole in the ozone layer and it's healing itself so the earth has an ability to heal itself once we put in place the measures to support it yeah. so although the science is very very bleak with climate change there is still hope Okay, that's good. That's mm. good to hear. Yeah. So you were in this kind of research rabbit hole and how did you then, were you trying to find a job in like environmentalism or anything like that? So after I finished my degree, I, same as most people who finish college with an arts degree, <laughs> end up going and working part-time jobs. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
didn't really want to go into a master's straight away because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But just after finishing the master's, I kind of hit this massive low point in my life after looking at all the science. Mm. And it looks so bleak that nothing can be done mm-hmm. that I almost completely gave up all hope on the whole situation. I thought, I'll just get on with life. I'll pretend it's not happening. Yeah. And I did that for about 18 months and went through severe bouts of depression and anxiety, like eco-anxiety that a lot of people are feeling now. And it only kind of lifted once I saw the school strikes starting almost this time last year, actually. And as soon as the school strikes happened, about a month later, you see an XR set, set up. So Extinction Rebellion got set up in about October, November last year. So 10 months ago. And in the last 10 months, they've grown to over... 55 different countries in Ireland we're in over 23 counties at the minute and that's growing day by day but yeah so Extinction Rebellion and the school strikes were a big kicker for me I remember seeing the big school strike in March I was at a local one there was only like 20 of us there but I remember watching videos of Greta Thunberg speaking and speakers around Europe speaking to these crowds of tens of thousands of people and I remember being moved and like I, li- I literally had goosebumps and crying in the car sitting watching a video by myself of this 16-year-old girl speaking to a crowd of thousands of people. And from that day, I told myself that I was going to do everything I could to to change the future. Yeah. So every Friday from then, I went to the to the doll to join the climate strikes there. Within two weeks, I met Emily Archer, who is a member of Extinction Rebellion as well. And she told me about Extinction Rebellion and told me that there was meetings going on, added me to our Slack group, and I ended up going to online meetings. Two weeks later, I was part of the bridge blockade on O'Connell Street and ever since i've just been immersing myself uh, so march was the big strike and then april was the o'connell street blockade yeah so that was rebellion week one we only had a day of rebellion in ireland yeah and it was good friday so yeah we all took part in that and blocked o'connell bridge for five hours amazing yeah. i was there too yeah it was I, brilliant yeah <laughs> it, was, it was really good atmosphere some legend brought his bike down <laughs> and played loads of music off it so everyone was just like dancing <laughs> and having having a grand old time to highlight the issue mm, yeah fab so that's how you got involved mm. and hope was instilled yeah which is great because even though like there are just such dire circumstances you have to kind of know that it can be fixed and it can be healed we just have to all work at it yes we all have to come together like one of the kind of great things about extinction rebellion is it's non-political and it's inclusive so like a lot of the issues that we're facing worldwide is because of the divisiveness of politics it's a two-party system in most states where it's one versus the other and it Mm. creates this divide between the people as well instead of working together for a common goal of having a better life for everyone better quality better quality of life better environment everything we have these issues and we're fighting against each other instead of working together and it pits one against each other instead of working as a community. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest issues of our time. And thankfully, XR is trying to address this now. Yeah. So uh, for any listeners who don't know, can you tell us exactly who XR are, like what their aims are, what they're all about? Extinction Rebellion, we're an environmental activist group and we take nonviolent direct action normally to cause disruption in city centres because city centres have the main media attention you also get more people involved and you can affect governments because most governments are set up in city centres obviously so we take actions in city centres to cause disruption not to ordinary citizens inevitably that happens but we do our best to limit that disruption to ordinary people unfortunately that does happen and some people might miss work or might just it it just disrupts their day and there's 
they're not able to go about it as normal. But unfortunately, we've been forced to do this because ordinary tactics don't work and have been proven not to work. Signing petitions don't work. Going to your local parliament to protest for an hour and then going, going home doesn't work. The government just goes in the next day and pretend that didn't happen. It's it's very easy for them to continue business as usual if we just go home and let them do, not actually not do the job that they're meant to be doing. They're meant to be representing us and standing up for us and doing what's good for the, the country, but they're not. So what we do is we take actions for a prolonged period of time. During Rebellion Week 1 in London, instead of going on a strike for one day, get one big massive strike, they took over large parts of the city for 11 days. So we shut down five major locations in London. So Oxford Circus, Piccadilly Circus, Marble Arch, Parliament Square and Waterloo Bridge. So shut down them five major locations and held almost like a festival atmosphere at each of them. A lot of people kind of question the methods. They might agree with why we're doing it because climate change is an issue. But their question or methods, why do you have to block a road? Why do you have to slow my day down or make my life harder? And unfortunately, we've been forced to do this because the other, the other actions don't work. And a lot of people are, unfortunately, they're not aware of the urgency of the issue that we're facing. Yeah. So the science is extremely bleak. Most people think, oh, yeah, sure, it's grand. I'll recycle. I'll, I'll cut down a little bit on my meat consumption or I'll drive less. And like, yeah, these are fantastic things to do, but that's not going to cut it anymore. If, the, if we started taking those steps 30 years ago, maybe. But we're at the stage where we need a complete shift in our society. We need to completely decarbonize everything that we do. Like our industry is, and the planet is basically run off coal, oil and gas. And we can't continue down that path or else we're all screwed. Okay, so that's why you guys do the big disruption. So for the people listening who are like, those darn kids <laughs> making me late at work all the time. Or you can understand because I'm a tour guide is one of my part time jobs. So when street disruptions um, and obstructions happen, you're like, oh, we have to change a route and there's <laughs> traffic. And I was actually on a tour when you guys were doing the slow cycle from yeah. Houston. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a tour on the tour bus and I'm the guide and I'm like oh sorry guys we're behind a slow cycle here and then I can't remember his name I had seen him at another strike before he was like you can just get off the bus and join us I was (laughs) like I would love to but I don't think my employer would be happy with that so we just took a detour um, and we went up a different route instead so I can understand, like, sometimes, you know, those people weren't from Ireland on my tour, you know, they can be from abroad and they're like, oh, why is this happening? But I just gave them a different tour and they were fine. But there's other people who are like, oh, my hospital appointment or something they're late yes. for. So you can totally understand yeah. that this can affect you and you feel super annoyed. But I think it's that's why it's important that you need to really educate yourself as to why we're doing it. And the fact that, to be honest, if we don't make this thing change we don't change how it is there won't be like a dublin for you to do tours in in the first place like that's that's how bad it is so have you found results from these disruptions yet yeah i think if you look at how the organization has grown over the past 10 months it it works It, it might annoy people at the start but once people realize how bad things are and they're woken up to the actual issues that are happening the the destruction that's happening all over the world they kind of realize that yeah you're doing it for the right reasons and they tend to support you even join you we've had people that are along the street and you're having conversations with them where they start giving out to you you, then you go explain to science why you're doing it you make it a personal thing so like a lot of the reason i'm doing it is that i'm 24 years old i want to have kids in the future i want to be able to not worry about my kids growing up in a world that is 
that is full of forest fires and drought and floods and yeah a, a horrible hellish future I, i'd like them to be able to grow up in a world that i've had the privilege of growing up in so when you make things personal to people and make them understand that you're doing it for for the good of them and for their mm. kids and also for yourself then they kind of they understand where you come from and a lot of the time they tend to be more compassionate and understa- understanding yeah if you look at the results we've had though if you look at after rebellion week one in london the first demand of extinction rebellion was to declare a climate emergency a climate and biodiversity emergency after the rebellion week one in london within three days the uk parliament had declared the emergency two weeks later the irish parliament declared it or the irish government declared it so it works i know that's only a statement it doesn't actually put in place any real concrete plans or anything but it's it's a statement and it's something that you can hold governments to account for if they're coming out and saying yes it, we've, we're in a climate emergency and then they go and do something that's completely different then you can call them out on it so is it, that the benefit of declaring the climate emergency yeah. for anyone who doesn't know what that means so basically if they've said okay this is something we need to address it's an emergency and then they come out and they're like free oil for everybody <laughs> you can be like hey that's Totally. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. You've just described what happened in Ireland. So, <laughs> um, yeah. After we declared the climate emergency, Richard Bruton, within two weeks, had granted granted two new oil and drilling licenses off the Irish coast, off the Kerry coast, to a Chinese oil corporation. And thankfully, they haven't found anything yet. But they're still looking. They're still looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is on top of the massive amounts of drilling we have off the coast already that Ireland doesn't actually make basically makes nothing off we sold off our rights to Irish waters in the 90s when a minister a slightly dodgy minister gave them away to some corporations and basically just like sold off our our rights to them we could be one of the wealthiest countries in the world but yeah that's another story yeah so that's the kind of idea behind the climate emergency it's declare something make the public aware of it so tell the truth about it so the climate emergency states that we're in emergency similar to a wartime effort if we were getting attacked by another country we'd declare an emergency so we have that climate emergency at least declared now even though the government are doing sweet fa Hmm. kind of about it so what else do you guys do so we have your direct action and you explained a little bit about that you're non-violent so absolutely no violence there's no retaliation against Gardaí or police or anything like that anything else that we need to know we we don't only take direct actions. We also do a lot of education because an awful lot of the public, while they might understand the climate change is an issue, they don't understand the urgency of the situation we're in. Just a few examples of the science. So so we give head and for extinction talks and it's titled that way for a reason. We're in this, the middle of the sixth mass extinction. Four out of the last five mass extinctions have been because of rising CO2 levels in the atmosphere. And this is the sixth time that's happening. We're seeing the die-off of species worldwide. So at the minute, the latest IPBS report, so it's a UN report, said that there's a million species worldwide that are facing extinction in the next decade. We've also lost 70% of mammals worldwide in the past four decades. So that in most of our parents' lifetimes, we've lost well over half of the species of animals. It's, it's shocking. We're heading for extinction ourselves. It's not just the animals and everything like that that are going to die. We're going to die off with them. Yeah. Like if, if bees and insects and pollinators die, we lose our food supply. Mm-hmm. If we lose our food supply, we die. It's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Coral reefs have died off 30% in the past decade alone. And the World Wildlife Foundation has come out in the past year saying that by the end of the century, 
they will have died off completely if we continue down the path we're on. And this is because acidification of the oceans. So everyone calls the Amazon rainforest the lungs of the earth. Yeah. It's really the ocean. The ocean absorbs at the minute about 25% of the carbon that we produce. But in the past, it has absorbed up to about 50%. It's after reaching a point where it can't absorb anymore. And what happens is as the carbon sucked in, the ocean becomes more acidic. As the ocean becomes more acidic, the coral is made up of calcium carbonate and that tends to break down once there's more acid in the water. Okay. And if the corals break and bleaching it's called, so when they go white and lose their colour, they get really brittle and they break. So you lose the breeding grounds of small fish. Yeah. And if the small fish go, the medium fish go, then the big fish go. And then the people who survive off it, us, and the people who live around the sea, that's a billion people worldwide survive off food from the oceans. They die or else they have to try to get food from somewhere else, which is going to be almost impossible because we're looking at declining food yields worldwide. In the UK, they've said in the next 40 years, we won't be able to grow food in the soils we have because of the degradation of soils. And that's because of a number of reasons, because of pesticide and artificial fertilizer use. It's because of our poor agricultural techniques. And instead of using regenerative agriculture, we're, we're destroying the land with animal, ag- animal agriculture and a monoculture crop system where we just plant one or two types of crops. What do you mean by regenerative? So regenerative, it uses, you can, there's a few different ways of doing it, but you use a system that benefits the soil, different techniques to, to promote soil health, to actually suck carbon into the soil rather than being a carbon emitter there's a there's a few different ways to do that but i'm not an expert on regenerative agriculture yeah sorry i interrupted you that's fine so you mentioned the regenerative agriculture so certain things certain problems that we're creating after the ocean and then there's the soil and the farming techniques yeah um so okay so food yields are going down so as i said coral reefs are dying which means that a lot of the ocean ecosystems could die off which will it'll set off catastrophic tipping points across the planet and could lead to the collapse of human civilization by itself but i mean this is something that has been said to me before by a very close family relative who i don't think he even listens to this (laughs) hi dad so (laughs) it has been said to me actually not like by a couple of people because as you mentioned this is the fifth Six Sorry, this is okay. the sixth. Four out of the last five were due to rising temperatures. That's why those extinctions happened. I presume the fifth one it was the meteors yes. that killed the yes. dinosaurs. Yeah. So we're here now after those extinctions and people say, hey, you know, we humans weren't around on the planet then and the temperature rose anyway, like it's rising now and poof, everyone went every living thing was Mm. like became extinct and we're back again so it's just part of the cycle man (laughs) and now we're heading into this extinction and people are saying it's just that's just the way it is but is there anything that is different about this time that means that this is not natural and it's kind of worse and life won't just Mm. go on see the difference is we're the ones to blame for this one it's happened at a much faster rate than any of the other ones have happened. Basically, in the past 180 years, we've changed our entire biosphere. It's The scale of it is absolutely astounding, and it, it it's actually a testament to how brilliant humans are. Unfortunately, we've done it in a destructive way as well. Mm-hmm. Like We've built massive cities that no one could ever dream of a few hundred years ago, but we've also done it at the expense of the environment. If you look back at the records of our temperature increase, so the, the reason that we've been increasing our temperature for the past 
180 years is because of our use of fossil fuels. And that started at the beginning of the industrial era, the industrial revolution. And if you look at the data from that, the correlation between carbon dioxide increase, so the more use of fossil fuels and temperature rise is perfect. They basically line up exactly the whole way up to where we are now, which is about 1.1 degrees warmer since that. So in that past 100, 180 years, we've gone up 1.1 degrees. Most of that has happened in the past 30 years because of the massive amount of industry we've used and the growth of capitalism and the growth of people all over the world. So we, we our population has grown massively. Mm-hmm. Like at the turn of the century, we only had like one or two billion people and that just doubled and doubled and doubled as, as healthcare gets better and people live longer and everything else. Life didn't go on for the dinosaurs, I suppose. <laughs> um, the other thing is they didn't know what they were doing. We we know exactly what we're doing. We're no we they, yeah. They didn't know in the industrial revolution, like when the train came and we started using coal, and this is amazing. Everything works so yeah. much better, and your sewage is just going into the street. We have lights the whole time. Everything like yeah. you have heat to, to cook food and yeah. everything. It just works so much better. It's fantastic. We wouldn't be here today if if we didn't use fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of damage done with that. Yeah, we're in the age of information now yes yeah that's the big thing in the age of information we have the ability to change how we act based on what we know and in the past 20 years we know we've known exactly what's happening we've known the reasons for climate change we've known that it's caused by humans and we know the solutions it's just up to us whether we want to implement it and so do you think that if if we don't manage this is it just a case of humans and all species polar bears to your pet cats and dogs are going to go extinct and then just a new cycle will start or do you think the planet won't recover from this the planet will recover that's the planet will be fine and new species might emerge in twenty thousand years or fifty thousand years or whatever but we won't survive Mm -hmm. you might have pockets of people living in bunkers around the world but Human civilization, as we know it, will collapse by the end of the century if we don't take urgent action. Did I see something on, I think, one of your public talks, though, about Venus? Venus used to have life on it of some sort. To the extent, I'm not sure. But it shows that life has existed on other planets and it has gone extinct. So there's no reason that it won't happen on Earth. Mm, Because it's completely inhabitable. Yeah. Now, I can understand if people are like, life is going to go on and hey, humans, you know, we don't deserve the planet anyway. It'll be good when we're all eradicated. And I'm just like, I, f- I feel really sorry for the other animals and the other yeah. species that are going to suffer through no fault of their own. Like the poor polar bears, <laughs> they didn't do anything to deserve this. And mm-hmm. their emancipated bodies are like showing up everywhere and in places where they're not supposed to be and mm. so they're suffering right now which i really feel for them so much like humans i'm like we're doing this but we're obviously we'll suffer as well but i mean that's not to say that like if a big enough hole in the ozone goes like that's yeah. like anything like humans will probably never exist again so mm. i think you touched on a point there we like humans yes are to blame but basically all animals and anything like that have never done anything to cause these things mm-hmm. but also a huge amount of people around the world haven't done anything to cause this to cause the issues we're seeing most of the environmental damage has been done by a very very small number of people it's been done by the corporations the massive corporations who unfortunately are made up of a small elite of older white men we'll put it that way um 
So it's very easy to blame humans in general for this, but yeah. it's not humans that are to blame. It's greedy people who have continued to destroy the planet knowingly at the expense of people all around the world, especially those who haven't caused any of these problems. So in Ireland, per capita, we are the same. So one person in Ireland emits the same amount of carbon as about 30 people from Africa. So to say that we personally aren't responsible is is a lie. And a lot of people look at China and go, they need, they're to blame for it, it's not us. Yeah. Ireland, people in Ireland have a huge responsibility to change their ways. But if you look at indigenous communities and countries in Africa where they don't use a huge amount of carbon, they're the ones that are going to suffer the most from it. And they're suffering already. They're suffering the droughts and the floods that are hitting year on year. Their crops aren't growing. Environmental destruction in the Amazon over the past few weeks has been has been crazy and unfortunately if you're an environmental activist in the global south so places like brazil or ecuador or even kenya or nigeria any of these places a lot of the time you're threatened or you're actually you're murdered there's been hundreds and hundreds of activists murdered around the world for standing up for environmental issues because there's someone making money off it exactly people making money off the environment is one of the root causes of this issue we use the environment as something that we own, that we can make money out of rather than something that we can all benefit from. Like the environment is here for all of us, not for a few wealthy people to hoard land and to use it to benefit themselves. Yeah. So is there anything we missed before we go on to more about XOR's actions and things mm. like that? Is there anything else about the group that we haven't covered? Mm. Uh, the structure yeah, of so, it? Yeah. So Extinction Rebellion was originally set up because of the severity of the crisis so yeah a lot of it came out after the ipcc report in 2016 i'll link that in the show notes yeah. it's um it's quite a scary report and most people won't read it it's huge but you can look at the conclusion and it's it's pretty bleak it says that if we don't reduce carbon dioxide by about 50 percent, so emissions worldwide by about 50 percent worldwide in the next 10 years that we will set off catastrophic tipping points that could destroy humanity this came out with a few other reports like the ipbs report i mentioned which is about biodiversity loss worldwide and when this was linked with the paris climate agreement so the paris climate agreement was when governments around the world came together and set targets they weren't legally binding though so they set targets but there was no way of enforcing those targets on governments the target they set was two degrees of warming to limit global warming by two degrees worldwide so to stop it rising any more than two degrees than it already is yeah uh, no before pre-industrial levels okay so we're at 1.1 degrees already their target was to keep it below two degrees of warming okay so two degrees total so an extra 0.9 degree at the minute we're at 1.1 degree and it looks like we've already locked in about 1.5 degrees. Carbon dioxide, when it's emitted into the atmosphere, it doesn't immediately cause warming. It takes a few years, basically, for it to build up and for it to trap the heat. So the gas you emit right now won't cause an impact right now, but in 10 years it will. It's it's an accumulative effect. Carbon dioxide lasts for about 100 years in the atmosphere. Methane's a different gas that only has a short lifespan, but it's much, much more dangerous. It's about 23 times more dangerous. Well, the estimates vary between 23 and like 60 times more dangerous. But Argument's that, sake, yeah. yeah you're that, sticking to yeah, the lower yeah, side, sure. Yeah, that has a short lifespan. That has about a 7 to 10 year lifespan, which means it's more dangerous in the short term, but it will eventually dissipate in, in, into the atmosphere. Yes, we've locked in 1.5 degrees. The amount of carbon that we've produced in the past two decades 
will in the in the next century get us to at least 1.5 degrees of warming unless we start to draw it down through techniques such as carbon sequestration which is basically sucking carbon out of the atmosphere you can do that through mechanical means so using machines to suck it out which is extremely expensive and there's not very good technology to do it or you can just use trees which is simple and baffles me that we haven't been doing it for years like we're we're doing the exact opposite of what we need to do we're cutting down vast swathes of the amazon not just the amazon like natural forests all over ireland and europe ireland has the lowest tree cover in europe yet it has the best growing conditions in europe for growing trees yet we have the lowest amount of tree cover of that about 50 to 60 percent of it is sitka spruce which is an american tree variety and it damages ecosystems so as it's leaves fall off basically they go into water systems and can clog up fish's gills it basically suffocates fish oh. it's disgusting and it also doesn't promote any sort of biodiversity in the area so if you have a monoculture of trees or any sort of crop tree whatever it is it doesn't promote biodiversity so you'll only have one or two species of animal in it but if you have a biodiverse area with like oaks ash birch loads of different trees and bushes you have a really big variety of animals that will survive in it you'll have different types of birds and squirrels and bees and insects and they all work together to create an ecosystem that's beneficial for all but if you have the sick spruce that we have here you get very little animals in there and it's it's destroying our biodiversity in ireland and is that being grown like why is that here is that being used for money. for paper or yeah. logging or um, a bit of both but it's it's purely for money we, we don't value our environment over corporations making money we, yeah. we we'd much prefer to sell land to big companies to log it than to protect natural habitats and promote biodiversity we're going to have to change how we're doing it because making money is sending us down a bad bad route and we need to change how we operate and how we value nature Mm -hmm. the person i interviewed who will be in the podcast after this said that ireland used to be i think she said covered in 70 percent forestry something around that Mm. you'll hear for sure in two weeks time Hmm. But she said that now we're down to 10% or 11% and only 2% of that is native. So that's our current forestry in Ireland. Only 2% of the forestry you see is actually native species, which is just mind blown. So that's, so this is another, Mm. another thing why Extinction Rebellion is existing. Yes. We need to promote native trees and native wildlife and protect the ones that we have here and stop invasive species coming in and destroying the environment unfortunately we're going to see a lot more of this happening with the spread of diseases this is another scientific thing i probably shouldn't be overburdening people here with this but it's good now yeah as temperatures rise certain insects can travel into the northern hemisphere a bit more so mosquitoes carrying malaria will be able to come into ireland in the next few years i've seen mosquitoes here recently so why it's worrying like, I've never seen mosquitoes here before. I've seen midges. Mm. I've seen, like, weird flies that suck your blood and stuff. <laughs> but I've never seen mosquitoes. And yeah. I did this summer. I've seen them as well. It's it's scary. A lot of the time they don't carry the malaria yeah. disease. But there is the possibility of that. And because it's warmer, they're able to breed here. Oh. Yeah, and that's that's just one example. Oh, God. Um, yeah, one other thing. I don't know, should I even mention this? another scientific thing? Is that Go on. Th- yes, please. So... With the IPC or with the Paris Agreement, yes. if we want to keep it to two degrees of warming, yeah, we have a carbon budget. So it's how much carbon we can release into the atmosphere through burning fossil fuels. We have a carbon budget of a certain amount of tons of carbon. 
that if you go too much, it will go you're going to overspend. Exactly. Yeah. It will go over the two degrees of warming, which will set off catastrophic climate change. Yeah. On our current trajectory, we will have burned through all of that carbon budget in eight and a half years. So that's by 2027. So that's why one of XOR's aims are to keep fossil fuels in the ground. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Keep fossil fuels in the ground. And also to start drawing down carbon massively with native forestry and regenerative agriculture and protecting our oceans so that they can become carbon sinks and so that they don't become a carbon emitter, which will happen if we continue to burn fossil fuels, if we continue to pump carbon into the atmosphere. It'll get to a stage when the oceans can't absorb anymore and just start releasing carbon into the atmosphere, which will be extremely dangerous. Yeah. Um, So one of Extinction Rebellion's demands is... For, for our government, for the Irish government, to have a plan in place that by 2030 we will be net zero. So zero emissions being produced in Ireland. And hopefully that will be actually in a negative. So that we'll be like... You'll be able suck, to heal. Exactly. Sucking in the carbon and yeah. healing our environment rather than destroying it. Yeah. Okay. So another demand that you guys have is obviously, I think it's it's in step three. I can't remember how it's worded, but to adhere to the citizens assembly you know make policy change so that this is acted upon by the government and the corporations that you're not leaving it just to people like us to bring your reusable bag to the shop and buy loose veg and stuff like that which is brilliant but in this there are carbon taxes and things like that mentioned which totally understandably when people hear that you think I'm going to suffer. So if there's a carbon tax, that means the petrol that I can afford an electric car. So I have a petrol car and when I fill it with petrol, I'm going to get taxed more. Like it's not my fault. So how I I believe you guys are about a just transition. So can you tell us about that and how this is going to affect the working class? Yeah, that's that's probably one of the biggest questions I have for most people. It's how are we meant to pay for this? And a lot of this kind of worry comes from past mistakes we've made with taxes so i know the water tax is just one that comes off the top of my head but carbon taxes if they're implemented properly can benefit society but this is a carbon tax that's put onto the really really big emitters so it's the big corporations the massive industries who are pumping carbon dioxide and other gases into the atmosphere not ordinary people ordinary people weren't the ones who've caused these problems it's the elite in society that have plundered the earth for greed and for power and for money at the expense of us and the environment so our third demand is for our government to implement the citizens assembly recommendations immediately and then to ensure that there's a just transition so that nobody in the country is left behind so that anyone who has to change their job what so like an example of that would be board pneumonia workers having to change their plan is to stop burning peat by 2025 so six years away we need to ensure that all workers for board pneumonia are either trained up or are given packages to make sure that they're looked after and they're not they're not left behind because it's a mistake that we've made over and over again where we change our industry or society changes we move towards different things and workers who have previously been working in a job for years and years are left behind and just basically forgotten about so we need to make sure that people are brought up with us and that everyone in society is looked after that people aren't burdened with an extra tax or having to pay for more fuel like I drive a petrol car as well and I don't want to have to I can't afford an electric car either and one of the ministers came out as part of the climate action plan I think it was Leo Varadkar said it that we plan to have a million electric cars on the road by 2030 the environmental cost of a million electric cars is fucking huge 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, sorry. That's okay. Um, <laughs> you got to let these frustrations out sometimes. Like, the, the amount of rare earth minerals that goes into making electric batteries is massive. And a lot of the time, it's slave labor that's used to make or to, to mine these materials. And it's in like places like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Just because we want to continue our way of life and our the, the luxuries that we have of like people having two cars in a family or having a fancy car, whatever it is, just because we want to continue that doesn't mean that we should be exploiting expo- other countries. Exploiting, yeah, exploiting other countries and other people. Yeah. Um, so we need to transition to a society that allows people to travel on public transport much more easily and much more cheaply than it does currently. An example is I live in Newbridge. The train from Newbridge to Dublin return is 14, about 14, 15 euro. If I go to the town over, it's half the price. Yeah, the town, I, that's the town is I 10 live, minutes difference. I live just outside Salins yeah, train Salins, station yeah. now. And I get the, I have a student leave card. I get in and it's 390 or something. Brilliant. And I remember I accidentally hit Newbridge instead of Nace oh. on the thing. One time, uh, thankfully, I didn't actually pay, but I saw <laughs> that it said like, like f- for a student single, 14 yeah. euro. It's madness. For like an extra four minutes on yeah. the dart like it's absolutely crazy um yeah so, and like if you look at other countries around the world they've put in place like really cheap public transport and people use or it free yeah free there's some places to do it for free yeah and people will use it if it's there we also need to speed up our our transport system mm-hmm. and increase the amount of trams on it and make it more comfortable but this and can all be done but at the minute the infrastructure we're trying to build is more motorways it's it's expanding the, the it's the, bypasses and exactly it's, yeah. it's bypasses and motorways and dual carriageways and it's it's not benefiting society at large because people end up sitting in a car for two hours or three hours a day and end up missing spending time with their family or it's just not a very nice way to do it but pu- public transport if it's done right can benefit people time-wise it makes them they can do whatever they want in then two hours rather than sitting in traffic getting pissed off yeah it also reduces the emissions massively because you're able to be a lot more efficient having people within a tram or a bus or or a high-speed rail network. There's an awful lot of benefits to it. And, and it would save those people money, which they'd be able yes. to put back into the economy exactly. in other areas as well. Yes, exactly. We do need to change, but we need societal change and we need the government to implement it so that yeah. it doesn't cost us money. So I just want to go back to the, the carbon, carbon taxes yeah. for a second. So if we're talking about the big corporations being taxed for the genuine horrible polluting that some of them do, do does that not mean they'll just up their prices for us um technically yes they could but if you look at some corporations around the world so b corporations is an example of this they still make profit but they don't do it at the expense of the planet so you can use renewable energies an example is coming off the top of my head this is not an ad kyo's crisps not sponsored <laughs> not sponsored by kyo's crisps um they're a carbon neutral company. They're an Irish company, but they do things in a way that doesn't destroy the environment and they can still make money. So corporations, they could put the brunt on us in the tax increases, but I don't think people will accept that. I think people will go, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get stuff off another company. Yeah. That is if not Coke yeah. puts the increases, people might convert to Pepsi exactly. or I don't know for the hardcore Coke fans. So <laughs> stop drinking Coke. I don't know. But okay. But the plan is the hope is that they, they won't yes. do that. They e- okay, so there's a few... The, okay, there's three major industries that are to blame. I don't like blaming, but... That, that are, are co- responsible, call, yeah, for responsible for a for big chunk of pollutants. Yeah. So it's the agriculture industry, not just in Ireland, 
worldwide and a lot of that is from the, the petrochemical industry which is a big player in artificial fertilizers and pesticides another one would be the fossil fuel industry obviously and the third one would be the fashion industry mm-hmm. so we have agriculture agriculture fashion and fossil fuels yeah fossil fuel companies like exxon have known about the climate crisis for about 50 years and have done nothing they were some of the scientists that came up with the projections first of all and knew that we were going to have massive rises in sea level by the end of the century and they told their ceos and what happened was they kept it hidden from people because they were going to lose shares they were going to lose money and these are the companies that need to be held accountable it's it's these and the, the massive fashion companies so fast fashion is the second biggest polluter in the world per second about a dump truck of of clothes are burned worldwide every single second it's it's disgraceful and that's just like some of the carbon there's also the toxic chemicals that are leached into the water from the production and, and then of course the people in factories in overcrowded conditions bad horrible conditions sometimes child labor yeah as well yeah, an awful lot of it um, and then the, the agriculture industry here obviously is 30 percent of our emissions but they can also they, they can shift the agriculture one especially they can shift from being a carbon emitter to being a carbon sequester so they can a sequester so they can actually suck carbon in rather okay. than producing methane and carbon dioxide. We need to help them do that. And again, yeah. that comes back to the just transition. Farmers, I believe, are willing to change because at the minute, they're being screwed over by the really big corporations. So at the minute, a very small number of people own the meat processing plants in Ireland and, and Europe and worldwide. And these are the corporations that make all the money out of it. Ordinary farmers who have, let's say, 50 cows or 100 cows, whatever it is, they don't make much money off it. A lot of farmers are basically living in, in poverty and working crazy hours and putting themselves in really, really hard positions because this is the life that a lot of the time they were born into. It's the type of farming that the government has encouraged and the EU has encouraged through CAP, so the Common Agriculture Policy and government plans. So we, we basically encourage farmers to increase their, their herd. We told them to get bigger milking parlours and to keep growing and growing and growing so that they can make more money and a lot of them are tied into massive loans now because they took out money to get these mil- milking parlors or other equipment and they need a way to pay that back and at the minute they're barely making any money at all because they're getting really really poor payment from these meat producers and the supermarkets who are the big corporations making it's like what they teach in in school in regards to like fair trade bananas and stuff like by the time you buy your bunch of bananas for 120 like you you pay the supermarket, you pay the shipping company and you dwindle it down and the farmer gets like three cent for yeah. that bunch of bananas. Exactly. I don't know what the exact numbers are mm. for here, but it's I do know that the farmers who, while I personally as well might not agree with like the ethics of some of, of the work that they do, at the end of the day, they're people doing a job that whatever it be tradition it's in their yep. family they're this is work to them and they're not being treated fairly either exactly so that's good at least that xor wants to help those guys as yep. well and i presume you guys i think i we, heard we've that been you trying guys to make connections with a few different groups yeah um, a lot of farmers seem receptive there is still the negative connotations of environmentalists want to destroy farmers livelihoods and that, yeah that's really not the case um it might have been in the past but and it always is with some people yes. you know you can not every not every environmentalist is gonna be uh, like understanding yeah. you know when and i can understand because you've got one half of you is your your morals and your ethics and 
you just want to be fair I know it's oh. tough yeah. it's very tough having these conversations because I don't even me personally because I think it's unfair of me to have another animal die for me to satisfy my taste buds yeah when I can eat things like plants and things like, that are tastier tastier and healthier exactly. and no one yeah. is harmed in the process exactly yeah but that's an ethical issue anyway yeah but I still need to look at things scientifically as well but yeah we need to protect our farmers and our other industries like the board of workers and come back to the carbon tax again it's going to be placed on the big corporations and it has to be placed on big corporations because they're the ones who have caused the damage not ordinary people ordinary people are already paying through their teeth for for the damage that's been caused to the environment and we're the ones who are going to suffer as well it's not the really wealthy people are going to suffer they're going to be able to find a new place that's they can afford a bunker exactly the elite can afford can afford to get themselves to safety if needs be but th- a lot of people in government i mean there's very few straight people no i don't mean sexual preference <laughs> straight i mean like you know are you corrupt or are you not corrupt i mean mm. like for example yeah. we have a huge housing crisis and a lot of our politicians are landlords yes. and this kind of stuff yeah. so do we know if the politicians here have ties in with some mm. of these big corporations as well just an example of that would be the climate emergency measures bill it's a bill that was brought forward by people before profit i'm not a member of these or anything like that but the bill was to keep all future fossil fuels in the ground Mm-hmm. So stop burning fossil fuels, basically. And the bill was blocked by a money measure bill. The Fine Gael government blocked it with a money measure. It's an undemocratic means of blocking a bill. So if, let's say, 70% of TDs in the Dáil vote to pass a bill, which is what happened three times, the government can then go ahead and block it with a money measure bill. The money measure is, it's a statement that says that this bill will cost the government and the Irish people too much money and that we can't put it through on that basis so they're saying if we leave fossil fuels in the ground our coal industry and our pe- we, we lose making yeah. money off them yeah we're making money off all the oil drilling off the coast it's it's undemocratic so 70 percent of the of the irish government voted to pass this bill because scientifically it makes complete sense there's mm-hmm. like not doing this is basically signing away all of our futures and your their children's futures like it baffles me that tds within Fine Gael who have children aren't putting through this bill aren't standing up for what's right and it, it's it's worrying it's and it, do, do you think then that some of those tds are tied in yeah. with the company yeah two days or actually the day before the money measures bill was put on that bill leo Radker's top advisor met with an oil industry lobbyist for a coffee it wasn't actually registered as an official meeting but they met with this lobbyist the day before the bill got blocked so mm. they have very strong links with these these corporations there's also this kind of term revolving door between politicians and corporations a lot more it's a lot more evident in american politics where a governor or a senator will go and work for a massive oil corporation or the other way around so if you look at the trump administration a lot of his top advisors are from like goldman sachs or exxon or these really big corporations and the same has happened here over the past few years and and kenny has got a job in a massive development company after the housing crisis in Ireland. It, it, it happens. So the fossil fuel industry does have power over politicians here. And as you said, I, I don't know how many straight politicians there are. Yeah. Um, I think but, I think politicians do get into it for the right reasons a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But they get corrupted quite easily. Yeah. So this is why we need the disruptions and we need the people on the, on the street. Like you're seeing in China, like you need people to come out in droves to let the government know that they are working for us exactly not the other way around exactly yeah so one of the things that extinction Rebellion works off is the 3.5 percent rule it's it comes off uh metadata of study so erica chenoweth 
she was a Harvard professor. She is a Harvard professor. She analyzed over 300 different rebellions or revolutions, I'd say. And she came to the conclusion that if you could mobilize 3.5% of the population and have a set demand or a set number of demands, that if you have that number of people, you will achieve those demands or you're much more likely to achieve those demands if you have that number. She also found that nonviolence works an awful lot more times than violence in achieving the goals and also in long-lasting goals. So if you use violence, first of all, you're not as likely to succeed because the government can crack down on you pretty easily. Secondly, if you use violence, you tend to have violent people, often young men, getting to the top of the new democratically elected government. And you end up with a regime that is very similar to the previous one and it doesn't really affect any change. So there's a number of reasons we use non-violence. Number one, in my opinion, is that it's the right thing to do. We yeah. shouldn't be violent towards anyone, whether that be verbally or physically. Number two is it works. Okay, so you've given us a lot of ammunition and you've armed us with a lot of facts that we can educate ourselves with. And if people question why we're doing, we can let them know. And this is all really good stuff to know to open up a conversation with someone, which is really important not to be defensive as well. Like if someone goes, oh, you're all just a bunch of hippies, you know, nothing. Like it's so easy to be like, come here, you. But you have to be like, okay, I can see what you're saying but this is what's happening and this is where I'm coming from so this is all amazing to know but how can we get involved with Extinction Rebellion what do you do what we need 3.5% of people to get involved hopefully more Mm. tell us how (laughs) what to do okay so there's a number of things you can do you can link up with us through social media channels which is probably the easiest thing for people to do you can check in with your local group we're in over 23 counties at the minute we're in, I think it's about eight or nine universities. We host Heading for Extinction Talks, which is a big one. It's it's where we convey a lot of the science and kind of tell people about what XR really is. We hold MVDA trainings, right? And they are nonviolent direct action trainings. That basically is going to teach someone how to take action in a nonviolent way and to know your rights, to know what to do in certain situations, how to act towards Gardaí nonviolently and how to make sure that you're going to be safe and that other people are safe in the group. And are these free? Completely okay. free. Lunch is provided as well. It's vegan lunch. From the MBDA trainings, we tend to set up groups called affinity groups, which are working groups. And they tend to work autonomously and go and take actions, whether it be blocking a road or going leafleting somewhere or just even organizing talks for people. Like you don't need to get in touch with like some of the head people. Like once you understand the values of extinction rebellion and you agree to non-violent action you're pretty much um yeah so i haven't mentioned yet but we have a list of 10 principles and values and once you stick to those 10 principles and values you can act under the xr banner so one of them is non-violence another would be no blaming shaming certain people are at different places in their lives where they can't commit to let's say not flying because of work or something like that and we operate on a system that it discourages us from blaming and shaming others because we're all trying to do our best here yeah and we tend to encourage people rather than to shame them that's just one example of the principles and values but okay we, i'll i'll link all of those yeah, as well brilliant. in the show notes and people can find these on facebook predominantly i know you guys have a website but mm. you'll probably find the most current meetings and trainings on your facebook page which is extinction rebellion ireland yeah Okay. Yeah, I'll that, that or as well. the Instagram account is very active as well, and okay. our Twitter as well. Um, we do have the website as you mentioned, but we tend to use the social media more. Okay, so that's where you find out about all these trainings. 
and the public talks and yeah. the local meetups as well yep. and you do a lot of zoom we do a lot of online meetings calls. and there's a platform we use called slack so if you want to get involved with organizing or just find out a bit more about what's going on you can go on to that you can sign up for that we'll send you a link and basically just getting you can get involved that way and if you're interested in arts you can link up with the art team we hold art sessions every week where you do banner making or making patches and badges or even just discussing what like so we have we have a big mural planned for the next two weeks and we have a group after coming together now to organize that so that's just one example and there's lots of different things like that popping up there's a place for pretty much everyone in the rebellion no matter what your skills are what your interests are there's something that you can do other than just coming out and joining us in the street that's fantastic we need you to join us on the street but we also need you to offer whatever skills you have if you have if you're a cook come out and cook for us during rebellion week if you're happy to steward for a few hours please come out and help us but there's lots of different ways you can get involved there's groups all over the country and they're going to keep growing and growing how does your online numbers compare to the people that show up on the day like is it good enough that people are active online Mm. like do do they have to show up on the street um showing up online is fantastic because it spreads awareness about the group and environmental issues but what we need is people to turn up in person on the street obviously in some cases people can't do it because of restrictions and other things going on in their lives if they have kids or etc but what we need is people on the street we need people to be on the streets for a, a period of time that is going to force governments and corporations to do what is needed and that is to radically decarbonize our society in the next 10 years and when is the next opportunity people can show up on the street every week we tend to hold something but they're normally only small actions okay so today we had an action in support of brazilian groups at the brazilian embassy mm-hmm. and I, w- I was only there at the start but i think there was probably between 50 and 100 people and that tends to be one of the smaller ones for rebellion week one where we held the day of action on o'connell street bridge we had over a thousand people mm-hmm. and if you compare that to the numbers we had online at, at that time in slack we had 50 people during the run-up to that 50 mm-hmm. people now we have over 500 and we set up our instagram account three weeks after that and yesterday we hit nine thousand followers oh my god amazing yeah um and the same has been happening with the facebook it's growing by like 100 people every day and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger which is great but we need you on the streets so for supporters online we need you in person as well we need you in person keep sharing stuff online but get your feet on the ground during rebellion week and during the school strikes on the 20th september it will be this will be released on the 16th monday 16th so hello it's this friday yes the 20th the 20th in dublin in cork if you're around the country there's going to be marches and events planned in every single county hopefully in every single town there's hundreds going to be taking place in community groups in churches in schools around the country if you're not able to get to one of the bigger marches you can host one and if you want to do that check out climate connects or you can get in contact with extinction rebellion directly or friends of the earth or stop climate chaos we're all working together for this one the school strikes is something that has brought people together for children because they're the ones who are going to feel the worst impacts of this so we need to stand up for them because they don't have the ability to vote they don't have the ability to change their actions and they're the ones who have caused the least amount of damage yeah so we need to stand with them so that's the next big action and you can find out about that on social media there might be posters up in your local area but find one of those charities and exactly see where the starting point is of what you can do for it which is amazing and you touched on something there we need to talk about which is rebellion week yes definitely talk about that one yes so rebellion week is it's our first really really big action we had the 
bridge blockade, which was big with ele- well, about 1,100 people-ish there. Mm-hmm. What we're looking at for Dublin in October, starting the 7th of October, going till the 13th of October, we plan a pretty large-scale shutdown of Dublin city centre. There's going to be roads blocked. There's going to be thousands of people on the street. In London, they had over 10,000 people there with 1,100 people being arrested over the week. We might not have the same scale that they have, but we will be causing a similar level of disruption. We'll have thousands of people on the street. We'll have people camping out. We'll have food every single day throughout the day, making sure everyone's fed. We're going to have support there for people. We're going to have legal support. We're going to have body support. We're going to have regenerative culture. So we're going to have a tent where people can do some meditation and yoga. We're going to have people there for emotional support. This event is going to be absolutely huge. We have cultural things throughout the week. We have music pretty much 24-7. Monday to Sunday, we have music starting from probably 10 o'clock in the morning, going till... 12 o'clock at night and the whole thing is almost planned out at this stage we have musicians from all over the country who have agreed to to play for us because they support us they know that this is an issue and this is going to be in the first week of october i think second second week the the monday the 7th monday the 7th of october so that's when this is starting and if you want to get involved with that please get in contact with us if you want to be actively involved in that we want to get you trained up before, but if not before, we can train you up during Rebellion Week. By actively involved, you mean part of some kind of specific kind of performance or something? Yes, and no. so actively involved could be you could be chopping up vegetables in the kitchen. Okay. You could be a steward for five hours. You yeah. could be someone liaising with the media. You could be someone on a laptop making sure that emails are going out to journalists. You could also be part of an affinity group, which might be blocking a road, which might be taking direct action at some sort of company or whatever okay. it is but cool. yeah there's lots and lots of different options but, but you can still show up on the day and be like here i'll hold this sign or 100%. i'll help you don't like you 100%. don't need if you can't come to dublin twi- two days for a training or something you just you just show up on the day and you can still offer your help just show up on the day yeah ask us for help tell us what you can do if you want to just stand there and watch and support and cheer and shout with us then please do join us there, there's no requirements you have to do this or that do what you can but just please join us during rebellion week if you're able to come for a day or an evening or an hour do if you're able to come for the week fantastic please take the week off work an awful lot of people are taking their holidays and it's i know it's a huge commitment and people want to use that holiday time for relaxing and whether it be going on holidays or whatever but we're at the most pivotal point in human history where we have the choice whether we want to save ourselves or not yeah and it's up to us whether we want to make the hard choices now or face the consequences down the line. Okay. You mentioned there uh, that in the London Rebellion Week, there was about 1,100 people that got arrested. If you show up to this, are you going to get arrested? No. What do you do that meant these people got arrested? So the ones who got arrested in London were people who specifically blocked roads or glued themselves to buildings or glued themselves to the underground system or things like that or who they, didn't move when asked to move exactly, on by the guards okay. exactly in ireland you'll get at least one warning by the guardy to move on and if you move on that's fine you're grand you're not going to get in trouble if you decide to stay there then you do risk arrest okay but that's just to let people know if they're like oh my god i don't want to get arrested no. you can show up and support and protest and be in the streets exactly and not get arrested we, like, we have a right to protest one. in ireland it's, yeah. it's one of our fundamental rights we have the right to get out into the street and hold our politicians accountable for their actions and it's something we have to do we don't have a choice anymore there's also there will be a safe space within rebellion week within 
the base camp, let's say, for families and for people who don't want to risk arrest. There's going to be an area where there's going to be no issue with Gardy coming in and putting pressure on people. So if you're not in a position to do that, if you're not an Irish citizen, let's say, that's just one example of why people might not want to put themselves in that, that position. There will be spaces for you to be able to take part that won't put you at risk of whether it be deportation or criminal offences or anything like that. There, there's spaces within base camp that you'll be able to take part in. Perfect. And I want to ask this in case anyone else is thinking of it. You mentioned there that you'll be cooking for like there'll be food for people. You know, there's a lot of banners and signs going in. Where does the money come from if there is any? Is this funded? Are there people at the top? Like how does okay, this how so does the money the, work? There's no one at the top. XR is a non hierarchical group. It's as flat a structure of an organization as you can get. So if you're only in the group a week, you have the same voting power as someone who's been in the organization since the start. Doesn't matter what skills you have, you have the same amount of power to make a decision as someone else. And everything is made through consensus decision making. So if you don't agree with something, you can put a block into something. Or if it comes to it, you you can just disagree and move on. But you have the same amount of power as anyone else. So that's just the top one. The money itself, a lot of it comes from individual donations. So people giving 20 euro. Or if someone has a fiver, just throwing it into a kitty. Some of it comes from big donations. If, let's say, someone is not able to get out and protest themselves, but happens to be quite well off, they can give, they give 500 euro to the account. Okay. And there's multiple people that look at the account and make sure that everything's above board. We also have funding from some international groups like XR International. It's, as I said, there's over 50 different countries and there's some international investors that are trying to support the climate movement because they understand how big and how important it is. So there's money coming from XR International, which is helping us a little bit to to get towards where we need to. Okay, and I presume that's all, it's all non-profit there as well. Like they're mostly all donations. All non-profit. And people can donate via the website. Yeah, so the, the website, we have a GoFundMe link there. Or if you know any local rebellion groups, you can you can do it in person. So the, the GoFundMe is probably the easiest or in person. Or you can just donate things. If you if you have food and you want to bring it with you, please do. If you have a table or whatever it is, just yeah. let us know and we, we'll, we'll find a home for it. Cool. And you, it's like everyone in this organization are volunteers, every yes. single person. Yes, every single person. We're all working our jobs as well as yeah. being involved. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so I just want to clear that up in case anyone is kind of thinking or wondering about that. So back to getting involved so people just need to watch social media for because i presume you're not releasing a location for this no there's no location going out yet okay Um, possibly in the days coming up to it okay or it might just be on the day you'll blockade and we'll find out we haven't figured it out yet okay we know know where we're going to be we have a lot of logistics stuff set up but we're not able to tell people the exact details for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. People can get involved through our social media channels. If you want to get involved with Organize a bit more, if you want to get more involved with like find out what's happening, give us a message on any of the channels and we'll get back to you pretty much straight away. Like We have a good team of social media people and we'll link you up with whatever area is suited for you. If you're interested in arts, we'll link you up with them. If you're interested in policy or research, we have a group that's working on that. There's a place for everyone, so don't be afraid to reach out and we'll do our best to help facilitate you in taking part in the best possible way that you can. You can do that through our mailing list so we have a mailing list that goes out every week and you sign up through our website ecorebelsireland.com ecorebelsireland.com okay yeah. that'll be in the show notes as well yeah so people can go straight there yeah amazing i want to give people an example i know we've been talking for a while hmm. but there's so much to cover 
I want to give people an example of one of these groups that you mentioned. So you can literally have an idea for anything. You can go, mm. hey, I hate seeing people with bottled water. I'm going to buy a load of keep cups and hand them out to people, whatever. And then you can just get a load of people from XOR to do that. And you can do yeah. that in the name of XOR or something. But there is a group that was set up called Plant Bandits. Can you tell us a little bit about those? I'm probably going to get someone from that group on this at some point. But it's just a really good example of the kind of action that you can get involved in if protests are not your thing i'm actually not a part of plant bandits but i have a good few friends who are they're a group that they take actions in in a non-violent way but in an also non-arrestable way which is very important because you need to be inclusive to as many people as possible what they do is to get native irish wildflower seeds so they get they get these massive packets of wildflower seeds from an irish supplier and they mix it with soy and clay, or not soil, not not soy, <laughs> um, soil and clay, and they make little seed bombs out of them. So little balls of, of soil with seeds mixed into them, and they'll go around the city centre and throw them into locations that might just be barren, there might just be concrete and nothing there, so like an, an empty site or like a vacant lot or anything like that, and they just throw it into the lot. And within a few weeks, you have these wildflowers popping up and feeding birds and bees it also makes everything just more beautiful it makes the natural environment nicer to look at and to live in and it's a really nice and beautiful way to take action without having to put yourself in the front line or doing anything crazy like that it it also shows the creativity that you can use it's it's something unique and has a direct kind of impact as well yeah it does immediate effect exactly it's an immediate effect and it's something that's very easy and accessible for pretty much everyone. Yeah. Like you can, you can be walking along the street and have one of the, the ladies in Plant Bandits keeps them in her in her handbag. And just like, if she sees a spot, she just throws out a seed bomb. And it's it's extremely easy to do. So er- anyone can do it. And you, you can make them at home if you want. You literally just get clay, buy some seeds. They're really cheap. Another thing you could do with them is once the flowers are up, if you're doing them in your garden or anything, just get the seeds and tap the or tap the flower seeds onto your hand and keep them for next year and just plant them again it's it's quite simple thing to do yeah amazing so that's like one group that Mm. they're just a group of people they meet up frequently enough they have their own facebook group as well plant bandits xor i think it is so that's another group is there anything any other groups you can think of as examples that's probably the most unique group Um, yeah a lot of our other affinity groups are direct action groups so another group would be the bumblebees who are another affinity group but they don't take arrestable actions one action they did was they held a vigil on grafton street so it's a candlelit vigil it's it's quite bleak but it was to remember the victims of climate change there's different examples of natural disasters and things that, are, that have caused deaths and that are attributable to climate change okay these natural disasters are worse are made worse by the increased temperature in the atmosphere the hotter the planet is the more frequent storms are but also the more severe they are the warmer it is the more energy they can hold the more energy they have the more destructive they are even like hurricane dorian the hurricanes are just so frequent now yeah so okay so there are vigils like they're kind of more serious and somber Mm. things which are important as well because you do Mm. need to know how serious yeah on that like that's one of the emotion the emotional side of things that a lot of people don't think about a huge amount of people are suffering with grief and anxiety because of climate change and it's completely understandable to be feeling these ways because if you're being told time and time again that your future is in doubt because these things are coming down the line rising sea levels increased temperatures flooding droughts all this sort of stuff if this if you're being told this by scientists and by the news 
and then you see your government doing nothing you see society at large doing absolutely nothing and actually working against it and making it worse and worse year on year you're you're gonna feel despair and grief because you don't see light at the end of the tunnel like ireland is emitting more carbon dioxide every single year even though we've planned to reduce our emissions massively we like our government is actively working against what it said it's going to do and that's at our expense so i guess from that point we'll move on to our last thing it can be as you said there you can suffer like ego anxiety you can get really down about this whole thing so what is your advice how do you deal with that if someone wants to do more what's your what's your advice for someone who wants to be more sustainable or get involved with direct action what would you say to people that are also feeling the weight Mm. of the world on their shoulders what what would your personal advice be first thing would be to talk to people if you're feeling very down or if you're feeling depressed or anything like that please just talk to family members or friends or someone you can trust after that what i find works best for dealing with these emotions is taking action if you feel like you're doing the best that you can or whatever you're able to do it it starts to lift these emotions because if you know that you're doing the best that you can to try stop this crisis from happening there's nothing else you can do like what i found worked for me was throwing myself in the deep end basically and given everything I, ha- I had like I quit my second job so I work part-time now two days a week basically just to kind of keep myself above water mm-hmm. and I've said that a few times but it's quite literal as well like I'm literally trying to stop sea level rise <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so I know I'm doing things a little bit more radically than others because I've yeah you don't have any dependence and exactly I'm yeah. extremely privileged and I still live at home with my parents I'd like to move out but obviously I can't because I'm only able to work two days a week because I need to do all this climate change activism because yeah. my future is in doubt and yeah but anyway. that's the, like that's the personal choice that yeah, you made exactly. but you did you did something exactly and, do yeah. do something that's that's probably the biggest thing to take away I think reducing your plastic use and reducing the amount of meat and dairy products that you eat mainly red meat and dairy being the two bigger kind of culprits culprits of environmental destruction flying is another one i don't fly anymore and it's again privileged position i've been to many places all around the world but i'm never going to fly again unless it's an absolute emergency for whatever reason i need to but i'm never going to fly for for holidays i'm never going to fly for business or anything like that because it's not worth it anymore and if if i have the choice to not do it i'm going to make the choice i'm going to make whatever choices i can to reduce my own impact but it's also to encourage others to not do it as well so an example of that is like i stopped eating meat four years ago and my parents thought i was mad (laughs) like i went from being this really big meat eater like i played rugby for years so i would have been eating huge amounts of meat and taking protein shakes and all that sort of crap and within 24 hours i went from doing that to being vegetarian my mom honestly thought i was after losing the plot and she was like well i'm not cooking for you so after a while my parents started to understand where I was coming from and started to reduce their own impacts. So stopping using plastic or my dad is vegetarian now and wow. he would have never thought in a million years he would have done that. He's vegetarian wow. now. He barely eats dairy. 
and he doesn't fly anymore for leisure and my mom's making so big never money. underestimate the ripple effect that exactly. your personal choices yes. can have and friends and fa- friends as well a few friends have told me they've stopped eating red meat who i would have never thought would have done it so you you have an awful lot of power through your actions not just through the direct impact it has but also through the ripple effect onto friends and family yeah which we need to do as well as the pressure on the government yeah that's so individual actions yeah they're fantastic please do them like i think you can cut your emissions in half overnight if you start making changes but as i said it's not going to cut it anymore we need to make massive shifts in our society if we're going to have a chance of our catastrophic climate change like in ireland we have to reduce our emissions by 80 percent in the next 10 years at least that's at the bare minimum if we're to have a chance at averting catastrophe and when i say catastrophe i mean sorry to put it in again but you're looking at the collapse of human civilization you're looking at the collapse of the global food system people won't be able to eat people won't be able to get fresh water that leads to riots it leads to violence and it leads to the collapse of of governments and nation states and a future that none of us want to see happen yeah it could become a reality so this is why we're doing what we're doing and this is this is why we're called extinction rebellion so we're rebelling against against this extinction mm-hmm. you have a choice you can either accept that we're going to go extinct and accept that all these terrible consequences are going to come down the line or you can rebel you can rebel against the toxic system that has destroyed our planet and has also put huge amount of burdens on ordinary people and has destroyed lives around the planet already and it's, it's going to get worse and worse so you have the choice whether to accept what's going to happen or whether to rebel and change the future that we have. And once you start rebelling, once you start getting involved, it genuinely, you feel great. I've only, I've taken part in a couple of street marches. I was there for the O'Connell Street blockade. I did one direct action. We both did it together. Yeah, it but we didn't. Yeah, we didn't <laughs> actually talk to each other. It was a big one um, in front of the doll. But after that like you're we're after performing this kind of like piece as such it was called the blood of our children and this particular action and it's a really serious topic and it can it kind of lulls in the middle of it like people are singing songs and you're like you can feel that this is a really important issue and it could have dire consequences but then after the action's over everyone is happy I made friends with people you know I got to know people I never would have known you can talk to people who are in the same mindset as you and are as worried as you are and it genuinely just lifts you up it brings you up and you think there is hope Mm. and there are other people out there who are fighting the same battle it's not all lost and some TDs came out and we made the news and this kind of stuff so it's got when you get involved you don't leave you don't walk away feeling oh all is lost in the world like you usually walk away with like a happy feeling going i did something today exactly about it. yeah, yeah. It, you, you feel happier because you know that other people are doing what they can as well and like when you have a support system around you you're able to express yourself properly and you're able to feel the emotions together and actually work through things rather than bottle them up and allow these negative emotions to get worse and worse but you you very very rarely will leave an action or a group or a meeting feeling worse than when you went in yeah it's it's a really open and nice space and community to be involved with and everyone is there for each other and if you need any support that like there's always someone there to help so please if you're struggling whatsoever whether you're in xr or you're not please get in touch with us 
and we'll try help before we check out is there anything else you want to say or cover I think, we've no, got a lot. Um, I think we're all good amazing um, please join us on the streets on the 20th of September and for Rebellion Week on the 7th of October amazing thank you so much Cormac I know we both have a meeting now of XOR <laughs> to run to so we're going to run to that Cormac thank you so so much for your time thank I really you very appreciate much Cara. appreciate it I hope you guys enjoy that. I hope you got something out of that. Now, I want to get straight in to what I wanted to let you guys know about. First of all, the details for the strike, the Global Strike for Climate, this Friday, the 20th of September, have been released. So if you go in to the show notes, whatever you're listening to this podcast on, if you scroll down, You will see a list of locations. A lot of counties in Ireland have some kind of gathering, strike or protest going on this Friday. If you're not listening to this in Ireland, go to your local Extinction Rebellion page and check out where your meetup is, where the starting point for the Global Strike for Climate is. I have Ireland's ones linked in our show notes here so if you're in Dublin for example we're going to be meeting at 12 o'clock at Custom House and then we'll be marching at 12 30 to Marion Square so they're also meeting in Cork, Kerry, Clare, Drogheda, Galway, Navan, Limerick, Dundalk and Marion Dingle so check out the show notes if you want to find out where your local gathering spot is for the strike please if you can take the day off or even come out for an hour on your lunch break it would be so so that would be amazing and if you can't sure look just share or share it around with your friends and just spread the word that this is happening on Friday the bigger it is the more impact we'll have now that is that just some things that we left out of the discussion between myself and Cormac so first of all in regards to the NVDA training workshops that they do so non-violent direct action training workshops we mentioned a little bit about slack in this episode which is one of the forms in which you can keep in touch with everyone if you don't know what slack is you probably know how to use it as much as someone who does know what slack is it can be a really confusing platform i have it and i i just get very confused by the whole thing but if you do an NVDA workshop they go through how to use Slack and how it works which is how you keep in touch with the organized which is how you keep in touch with the organizing of Extinction Rebellion actions so you can like their Facebook pages as we mentioned and keep in touch with them via Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and you're seeing pretty much what everyone else is saying but if you want to really help with organizing and setting up your own group and getting people to help you with your idea slack is the best way to do that and if you don't know how to use slack those nvda workshops are really good for that and as well something we left out in regards to the funding of extinction rebellion so 
Extinction Rebellion Ireland gets its funds from various sources. So there's a GoFundMe account, as was mentioned. I'm going to link that again in the show notes if you can support them. That would be amazing. And as well, as was mentioned, Extinction Rebellion International send some funds here and they get their funds from Climate Connects, which is basically an organization that has a lot of really wealthy investors who I presume care about the planet and are pumping money in that they have and Climate Connects then sends it out to various organizations that are doing their bits for the planet. So they have sent Extinction Rebellion International some money and they then send that out to Extinction Rebellion groups across various countries And as well, I don't know if many of you guys remember, Radiohead made a big donation to Extinction Rebellion as well. So there is a couple of, like Cormac mentioned, big individual donations that come in as well. And they basically fund various things. A lot of people donate a lot of time and a lot of materials. There's various businesses that will donate signage and printage, but not everything comes for free. So there are some costs involved. And as well, there are in Ireland three people who basically put in practically 30, 40 hour, even more hours of work into organizing Rebellion Week and actions and keeping everything running. Everyone has their own life and their own jobs that they're trying to do as well as organizing all of this. And in Ireland, there are three people who are getting what's called a voluntary living expense so when you think that you're like are they getting paid and I looked into it and basically these three people are getting 60 euro a week for expenses so I'm all about transparency whether or not you agree or disagree with that that's totally your call but I just like to be transparent so in Ireland there are three people who get this voluntary living expense of 60 quid a week so while they're not getting paid a wage even though technically they're they might as well be working like a career with the organizing and everything that they do I just wanted to include that in there because I would want to know. So if you do want to fund these guys, as I said, I'll link the GoFundMe for Extinction Rebellion Ireland in the show notes. And a quick thing about the show notes, if you're listening to this on, say, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or CastBox, whatever you're using, I don't think that if you go into your show notes, the links that I have embedded won't show up it'll just show up as text underneath so if you want to get the proper show notes with everything in the one place go on to my website it's bookofleavespodcast.com and on the homepage, you can click into this episode with Cormac and literally it has everything in the one spot there are links to everything to reports mentioned You don't need to Google anything or copy and paste. There are links to how to join, their values, where you can sign up to be a steward for the marches, all this kind of stuff. So I would advise you to go straight on to the the website to check those out, bookofleavespodcast.com. And in regards to 
the protest and rebellion week there is a lot of specific items that you guys can help out with that you guys can help out with Cormac mentioned a couple of them but after I interviewed Cormac we went to the monthly Dublin meeting of Extinction Rebellion where they basically chat about different kind of affinity group events and who needs help with what and just updates and at the end of it this chap called Oscar got up and said okay for rebellion week we need this 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 and this if anyone has it please get in touch and they've since released it on their Facebook page as well so I just wanted to put a call out here in case anyone has any of the items that they're looking for so first we'll start with this Friday the 20th of September The global strike for climate, the last one that was in March, was huge. I was working on Stephen's Green and the students just completely blocked the whole south side of Stephen's Green. It was amazing to see and we're banking on this protest being even bigger. So they need stewards. People just to wear a high vis and just make sure that people stay safe. If there's traffic or a police car or something coming by that you just make sure everyone is standing in off the road and just being safe. And if you have a couple of hours that you can spare on the 20th, please get in touch again. I will link that in the show notes. There'll be a big how to sign up to be a steward. Click here. And that will be on the website. So that is one thing for this Friday that you can do. And of course, keep sharing the event for the strike on Facebook. Invite your friends, invite your family, talk to people about it. It's the best way to get the word around and show up if you can. That That's the biggest thing you can do for the Friday. Now, for Rebellion Week... There's a few things that they need. I realise this podcast is going on really long, so I'm going to try fly through this, okay? So, they need marquees. Doesn't matter how big or small, if you have a marquee and you're not going to be using it between the 7th and the 13th of October, if you could let these guys know, that would be great. They need sleeping bags. They need chairs, bean bags, tents. They're going to be camping in this part of Dublin that they're going to blockade for the week so ideally if they're a bit comfy that would obviously make it easier they're going to need kitchen utensils for cooking they really really need generators if you have a generator ideally a solar paneled one would be amazing but if you have a generator that you're not going to be using between the 7th and the 13th please do get in touch with Extinction Rebellion because that would be a huge lifesaver and as well the next kind of massive thing they need are trucks specifically kind of ones that you can turn into a stage so if you have one or you know someone or you've got a spare truck and you've a craft person who can turn it into a stage that would be amazing and the email address if you have any of these items email x or ireland at gmail.com again that will be written in the show notes so if you've any of those items that would be a huge 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 help and then of course you we need you so please show up if you can take a day or two or if you have one or two of those days off for rebellion week please do come and join us I don't even know where they're going to be yet but I work part-time so I know I'm going to have some time off anyway so I'm going to be there for as much as I can so if you guys are free 
Hopefully I will see you there in the street. And more importantly, I will see you this Friday the 20th. I'm going to be in Dublin, but wherever you guys are, we're going to be marching together in spirit. And there's something else that I want to leave you guys with as well, because... And what you might be listening to me going, oh, like, looky, Cara, she knows all these people and she has friends in this organization. And it's easy for her to get involved. I didn't know anyone before I started getting involved with the Extinction Rebellion. The first action that I got involved in, I brought my partner and we just sat on O'Connell Bridge for a while and we got chatting to people around us. Like everyone is so, so friendly and it basically made me a little bit more confident and I attended the May I think it was Dublin meeting for Extinction Rebellion and I knew nobody the only person I knew there actually was Richard from Clean Coast so I saw him there and I said a quick hello but literally I went by myself and I didn't know anyone there and afterwards, some people went upstairs to the building that we were in, to the to the bar to have a drink or whatever. And I got chatting to three people that I'd never met before. They came up to me. I would be like an introvert extrovert. So I'm quite happy to spend time by myself and I'm selectively extroverted. It's It's mad. I don't understand it. But I can be shy at times. So I'm in this place and I don't know anyone. But everyone is just so, so friendly. And I totally get that when you're at home, you're comfortable, you're cosy, you've got your TV, your internet, your phone, your food in the kitchen. And it might be raining outside and there's a protest on. And I know that it can be really hard to just get up and leave. But I I promise you guys, you won't regret it. If you go, the people are just so friendly. Literally, if you spark up a conversation with anyone beside you, everyone is just happy to chat. Even though people there are not exactly happy to be there fighting this cause, they're happy to talk to everyone. Like there are people now that I feel like I've known for five years and I've only worked with them on one or two actions. And It's just amazing to find people who really believe in something as much as you do. So even though you might be at home and you're cozy and it's comfortable, it is really worth getting out of your comfort zone because at the end of the day, you'll realize you're not actually, you've never left your comfort zone because it is with these people who think the same as you. It will be worth it. I promise you that. And I really hope that I'll see you there. And don't forget to share and get as many people to come with you as you can. Because there is no plan B. This is all we have. So let's fight for it, guys. Okay, I've kept it long enough. Thank you guys so much. See you this Friday.